Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 327 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. I'm Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and we have the full crew here this week kicking things off with the owner of MTG Goldfish, Richard. How's it going this fine Monday, Richard? I'm doing very well, Seth. How are you doing? I am doing pretty well as well. It's actually uh, getting a little nicer, finally, in upstate New York. It uh, <laughs> feels like spring, so uh, so yeah, feeling pretty good today. But we have another co-host in Krim. How, uh, how's this Monday treating you, Krim? Uh, a little bit better than the last one, uh, but but yeah, like still, still have a little bit of sniffles and stuff like that, and I can't tell if now it's just like allergy season is going into like hardcore mode. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is that time of year, I think, for allergies. So, well, I'm glad you're doing a little better than last week, at least. So uh, this week, kind of a weird week podcast wise, there wasn't any like one big piece of news. Tournaments are kind of still where they are at. No, like super big changes there. So we're going to jump around to a few interesting topics. Uh, there was some big celebrity news this week about uh, Post Malone playing magic. So we're going to talk about that. There was some Wizards financial information. Uh, they had their Q1 reports. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about Wizards revenue and how magic is doing from that perspective. Uh, NFTs maybe coming to magic also on the list and then of course uh answering some fish mail because it's been a minute we missed it last week so we'll get to your fish mail questions today but before we get into all that a reminder that today's show is brought to you by card conduit and if you've ever tried to sell your magic cards it's a lot of work you got to do a lot of typing and sorting and it's just really not all that much fun well card conduit they are the easiest way to sell your cards and if you want to avoid those hassles and avoid all the time it takes to sell your cards this new service from the folks over at Card Hoarder will sort grade and even sell your magic cards for you. And once your shipment is processed, you'll receive their proceeds minus their fee. And right now you can even get a 10% discount by heading over to cardconduit.com slash goldfish. So thank you so much to Card Conduit for supporting the show. And uh, let's talk some magic. Let's talk <laughs> starting with probably the biggest news of the week. So, uh, yeah, uh, this past week, there were some like pictures on Twitter, on Reddit of Post Malone at a local game store. And then it kind of came out that uh, Post Malone's a magic player and going to go on game nights and all this stuff. So did you guys see the Post Malone news? First off, what did, what did you think of that? <laughs> uh, I think I think it's really cool. Uh, you know, like the like seeing, you know, more it, it makes it kind of feels like a small world kind of brought together by, you know, magic, well, the gathering. And uh th I think that's pretty cool, right? Cuz there's got to be tons of other, you know, like uh celebrities and whatnot that are also that also play the game, but we we just don't know and there's just something cool about seeing, you know, uh, an A-list celebrity who is into the kind of the same things that you are. Yeah, I, I feel kind of bad for Post Malone, though. He's, like, just trying to play some magic, and he's getting yeah, mobbed yeah. by, like, everyone. I'm like, dude, I'm just trying to cast, like, some Strixhaven, man. Like, everyone's just bombing him. TMZ's coming up, paparazzi's, like, all over the place. What do you, uh, what so do you think he plays? <laughs> I, I heard rumors that he's, well, he's a commander player. I think right. that much is, is pretty well known, but the rumor going around is he is a, a Zer player is his like main deck in commander. Ah, yeah. I, 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 I heard there, there was a platinum angel involved, all this other <laughs> stuff. So, you know, I'm excited to see 
uh, this do you, episode. Do you, do you judge him differently based on his magic tastes? What if he's a Simic player? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I would understand. Power creep is a thing. <laughs> I think this is actually like kind of a big deal. Uh, we've seen a lot of advertising attempts lately from wizards to like have celebrities and e celebrities and whatever, like kind of advertise the game. I think what kind of sets this one apart for me is this one actually seems very authentic and organic. Like, I think this is a case where like Post Malone actually likes playing magic. This isn't like, oh, wizards, you know, paid someone a ton of money to tweet about their game or to do a promotion for the game. This is just like, hey, I really like this game. And I think that's way more impactful advertising wise, at least for me, like uh, the the like Mr. Beast thing. Definitely a cool promotion, and I think it's a, a sweet thing for Wizards to do. But when it's like, all right, Wizards like paid someone a bunch of money to like put their name on it and try to draw their fans into the game, I'm kind of like, okay, like that's what corporations do. That's the whole the whole gimmick of advertising. But when you have someone that's just like, hey, this game's really fun, I'm gonna play it, and like that's way more impactful, I think, because it it just feels more real. So I don't know how much does this move the needle? Do you think magic wise? Because Post Malone is kind of huge like this isn't some you know d-list e-celebrity like post malone is like legitimately one of the most listened to artists on spotify a, a straight up like a-list celebrity like does this move the needle is this gonna i hear people say like the the D moment like they had with stranger things everyone's waiting for that to happen to magic like is this the you know magic's version of stranger things like breaking into the mainstream you know that I'm sure some people will get into, you know, magic through just like how big, you know, Post Malone is. I, I think Post Malone might be bigger than actually just magic. <laughs> <laughs> so that'll be, that'll be, it'll be cool. But, uh, I, I think it, it does just a little bit, at least for like the younger, uh, crowd from Post Malone who are, you know, still kind of like, Figuring out what their hobbies are and stuff like that as they, as they get older. And, you know, like, uh, seeing some of your favorite celebrities and whatnot into, in, into certain things can't sway who you are growing up. So I, I think that'd be cool. Yeah. I, I think I agree with Krim. Like some people will pick it up because of Post Malone, but I think it'll actually really help, um, kind of the older crowd that played magic at some point and stopped. Like you'd probably see the news and you're like, people are still playing magic the gathering. Like, oh, maybe I should check it out because I used to like it, you know, back in college or back when I was a kid and it's still around. So I'll check it out. So I feel that factor will be a lot higher, but you can't say no to free advertising, right? Like whether it does something or not, like you just get enough of it and it works. Like nobody sees an ad and, you know, picks up whatever it is. You don't like drive down the street, see a Mercedes ad and be like, yeah, I'll just buy a Mercedes right now. Right. Like, no, that doesn't really work like that. Right. But like. After looking at this ad for like five years and being bombarded on TV, movie shows, television, when you're older and you're like, I need to buy a high-end car, Mercedes might pop into your head, right? And then you'll buy it at that point, right? So maybe Post Malone is not, you know, the the first thing that causes people to buy magic, but then maybe next week they see news about magic NFTs. And then the week after they see, uh, I don't know, like a, a trailer for the, the new magic set, like maybe like those three combined will push you into starting Magic the Gathering. So I, I feel it definitely helps. And it's way better when it's organic, right? Like when it's not paid for and you know he genuinely loves it. 
Uh, I, I'm just really thankful he was playing Commander and not Vintage or something. Like, yeah. can you imagine? Like, <laughs> Magic the Gathering, only Post Malone can afford to play this. <laughs> Here he is with the Black Lotus and like Power Nine, right? Like, thank God it was Commander. <laughs> Uh, although there are rumors there's a there was a lotus that sold for over five hundred thousand uh a few months ago and uh the rumor going around is that it may have been post malone that bought it so <laughs> so maybe plays vintage too or uh or just i don't know i guess if you have that much money why not buy <laughs> why not buy a black lotus at that point what so if he's, what if he's I causing think, reserveless buyout buyout set <laughs> what what if it's yeah what what if that's actually it's the long con and he doesn't actually like magic he's just trying to mtg finance (laughs) oh so i think it's actually a pretty big deal like can you think of anyone else anywhere near post malone's level that uh as far as a celebrity that actually like plays magic or at least we know plays magic i'm sure there are some people that do that maybe we haven't heard about but when i think of magic celebrities i think of like uh you know cassius marsh for example like who was an NFL player uh, and he's known compared to someone who's famous for streaming magic. He's definitely way more famous, but I also don't think he's anywhere near, you know, post Malone level is one of the like most famous people, musicians like in the world, arguably. Is there anyone even close to post Malone's level that you know of that plays magic? Oh, isn't I mean, uh, are, are there any people in the world close to his level? Like how, like how many are there? Right. Like a, like what, the rock has to bust out some magic cards. Yo, like, if the rock okay, okay, played magic, let, yo, the rock have to play the rock. Golgari. Yeah. <laughs> All right. How about? Uh, yeah. So who would be number two? Let's put it that way. Let's say Post Malone's number one. Who who's the second most famous magic player? Who's you that know, baseball player that plays magic? Wasn't there a well known uh, baseball Hunter player? Hunter Pence? Who's yeah, more he's, famous? Yeah. Him I or guess, Cassius Marsh? Ooh, that's hmm. Probably probably close. I would say it might. I think football is more popular than baseball, but I think Hunter Pence is probably more famous within baseball than uh, than Cassius is within football, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Because like I, I, I definitely watched Hunter Pence like, you know, World Series, all of that. So like, that. yeah, he was like a World Series star or whatever. Wait, really? at one point, what team was a few he years on? ago? Giants. San Francisco, right? Yeah, he was <laughs> yeah. part of their like World Series team. Is yeah. he like a starting pitcher or like a relief pitcher? He's he's retired. He was like an outfielder or something. Oh, right? yeah. He was not yeah, a pitcher. Yeah. Oh. Not, not a pitcher. Yeah. But he was a starter. So Okay. Yeah. But uh I mean outside of that, I think it's like what there's the actor that I, that plays Deathstroke. Uh I, I'm pre- I think he plays it also. I know he plays D D. Um because he definitely makes yeah, I know that, but um. someone someone said oh, I didn't even know who this person was, but but you probably won't. Uh, director of some Kong movie that made a ton of money like three years ago. Some Kong like, Kong Island. Oh, uh, well, who's the director? Uh, Skull Kong Skull Island. I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to actually find the name again. It was like a a French sounding name, I think. Yeah. All right. I guess I. <laughs> I guess I can't find it at the moment. Maybe I, I should not have uh, brought that one up. Uh, I, oh, wait. Uh, Kong Skull Island. The director of Kong Skull Island, whose name is uh, Jordan Vot Roberts. Voigt Roberts. Hmm? Ring a bell? No. I mean, I watched okay. all the Kong movies, but. <laughs> I just watched Godzilla. <laughs> but. 
<laughs> yeah. I'm not exactly sure. I think like day nine is up there of like, if you actually think about like, or like other streamers probably have more presence, right? Than most of these people that we're naming aside from like Post Malone, right? So like any like famous streamer, like if you actually think about streamers, like just like normal streamers, when you're streaming to 50,000 people, that's like streaming to a full football stadium. That's like ridiculous, right? If you actually think about that and process that for a minute, now you're just sitting at home in your underwear or whatever. You're streaming to like a football stadium. So I actually think I, some of these <laughs> other like paid, paid or either non-paid, but like streamer, uh, streamers, like non-magic streamers playing magic is actually like a lot more exposure than uh, some of these celebrities are trying to list off. Speaking of non-magic players playing magic, uh, good segue, Richard. The Wizards announced the world's... <laughs> The world's okayest magic player tournament, <laughs> uh, featuring four new players or uh, casual players uh, as a promotional thing. Uh, who is in that tournament and what do you guys think about that? I, I see. So the thing here is it's a, it's apparently, so there's, yeah, the, there are they chess players, right? Okay. So, so the names, I wasn't familiar with them. Uh, Annie the Duck. Who cosplayer streamer according to Twitter RT game crowd um, streamer of some kind uh, from Ireland I believe uh, Rose Ellen Dix who I'm not exactly sure what she does Anna Chess is a chess player who is uh, is relatively well known so it looks like a mixture of like streamers or content producers from non Magic games that have. Mostly a lot of followers. I think they all are mostly like 300, 400,000 followers on Twitter, at least. Well, okay. So, yeah, like I, so they are pulling from other, other like crowds and whatnot. And I mean, I think the title of it is like pretty funny. The world's most okayest magic player. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I, I'm not actually sure how these events work. Like, uh, it, it sounds interesting to me, but I'm already into magic, right? So, like, I'm curious how, how this, like, feels for the people coming from, like, you know, the respective, com- like, communities that they're coming from. Uh, but I think it could bring, like, a few eyes over, but I, I don't know how much it'll actually work. Yeah, that's, that's something I've been wondering about, how, how much it brings over. Cause it, the interesting part about the tournament for me is it seems like it's not focused on magic players. Like maybe there's some magic players who will watch it out of novelty. Yeah. But it seems like the tournament is designed to bring in the audiences of the people in the tournament, chess players, streamers from other games. Are a ton of those people going to tune in to watch? I'm very curious. And how many of those people will convert into magic players? Uh, Richard, what do, you, what do you think? Like, is this going to be a success, this form of advertising? I think it'll be a, I think, I think it'll be a success. I don't think it costs a lot. And I think this is the right audience, right? Like, it's not for us. It's not like a, like, you know, like a give me or something or like a, a free event for us, the magic community. It's for getting new people into this crowd. So if you think about people who would play magic, right? I think people who are interested in chess would also be interested in magic. So having this event, I think will bring some people, right? It's, it's not like, you know, 90% of the people will come, right? It'll be something like 4% of the people that watch this will come. But 4% of, you know, combine all the followers, what are we at? Like a million, half a million, something like that. That's like a significant number, right? So while 
I don't like how they cut budget from some of our activities, like, uh, you know, release day events. I do see this as like a good use of money, right? Like that if they're going to try to get new players into the game, I think um, this would work. For the event itself, I actually think it's funny that it's world's okayest magic player. Like if these people are top tier chess players, they will destroy like most magic players. Right. Like if you're good at chess, you'll probably be very good at magic. So I'd actually want to I, I, I'm curious if they get like an actual like really good chess player and just like train them for a couple months in magic and then just pit them against magic pros. I wonder what would happen. Right. Like I'm actually kind of curious as to uh, how well the skills transfer over, if there's any transfer at all and like how those go. But yeah, having like a chess grandmaster play some magic. That'd be pretty interesting. I, I'd actually watch that. Isn't uh, isn't Stanislav Sivka like a grandmaster? Yes. I don't know if magic came first for him or chess came first. I, I guess he's also just kind of like he's like I, I don't know. He's just like a freak. He's like a well, like a like a freak athlete who can like play any sport really well. I think that's Sivka. Like it just seems like no matter what game he picks up, he's like, oh, I'm gonna go play Hearthstone now. I'm gonna go play chess now. And he's just like literally one of the best in the world at any game he decides to play. Yep. That 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 is super interesting to me, <laughs> right? I, but, but it's too high level. I can't understand it. I'm, I'm curious how these people will understand magic. Like, okay, I'm gonna cast this MDFC. Let me spend eight minutes to read both halves and make sure I, you know, like I don't know. Are they playing like core set? Like, what are they? What are, what's going on? This is gonna be pretty interesting. <laughs> are are either of you gonna tune in to watch it? I think I am, just because I, I want to see how it all plays out. Uh, just for the fun of it so I'll, I'll definitely be swinging in for a little i think i'll check the production if the production is out of this world i'm gonna be very upset right like if the production is just normal magic production i'll be like okay right but uh yeah just check it out see what it is like see what they're playing see if they're like sitting there explaining well the stack you know i'm gonna put things under the stack we're gonna resolve them in reverse order this thing has trample it means damage goes over the creature like i wonder if they're actually gonna explain all that or they're just gonna like play magic i'm actually curious what the structure of this is gonna be yeah i i might tune in just for the novelty of it too like because i don't know what to expect um <clears throat> i don't know if i'd spend my entire day watching it but i am interested to see how they they try to pull this off so would you rather so watch this or mpl uh probably this i guess i mpl if it was like around set release <laughs> but with the current meta uh probably this i guess so it is for magic players <laughs> see it all worked out <laughs> or maybe the mpl is not for magic players <laughs> oh, that, that oh, is the true answer. That, that's something i did not factor into this one <laughs> uh all right so any any other thoughts on advertising celebrities playing the game etc etc before we move on all right so next on our list we have a uh, some wizards financial news i guess this week was q1 report week for hasbro and uh we got a bit of magic information out of the reports uh, richard how's magic doing these days very well, Seth. Very well. According to Hipsters of the Coast, <laughs> Wizards revenue up 15% in Q1 2021. Caldime was Magic's best-selling winter set ever. Uh, blah, blah, blah. D&D Magic double digits growth, blah, blah, blah. Uh, just a lot of numbers, but Magic is doing very well. I mean, that's good. I think I think 
<laughs> I think that's good. We want wizards to make money. I want wizards to make money. Um, sometimes it is, it's hard to sort out why magic is doing well and how much of it is the traditional pillars of magic, like the, the, you know, four standard sets a year and how much of it is things like secret layer drops bring in extra money. Uh, but, I mean, it's heading in the right direction, and in theory, the more money Wizards makes, hopefully the more money they invest in the game and invest in cool things. Although I will say, it does make me a little sad when I see numbers like this, and I see uh, like the big promotions they're doing, the the Mr. Beast thing, and the, you know, okayest Magic player thing, and then they're like cutting early access day and things like that. It does make me a little bit like, come on, like, come on, you're making 15% more money. You can't scrape off like 20 bucks and have an early (laughs) access day for us to play the game. Come on, (laughs) Wadsy. I actually don't like this news, right? Like if, if it basically means whatever happened in the past year is going to happen like times 2x next year, right? So if you're not happy with secret layers, well, too bad. It's working. If you're not happy with Caldime being a terrible set for standard or, you know, being not impactful set for standard at the very least, doesn't matter. Standard's not important, right? Money is up. So while I do like that, you know, Wizards not going bankrupt, you know, that's good. The game is not dying. It is doing very well, and it's doing very well with things like us old school Magic players don't particularly like, right? They're just going to do more of it. So in that sense, it's kind of a double-edged sword. And, you know, what this tells me is more secret layers, more sets on Arena, more collector boosters, more 800 versions of every card, more non-standard focused standard sets. I don't even know what to call them anymore, right? <laughs> like uh, expansion sets, right? So, yeah, expect more of that to come. Yeah, the disconnect is a little strange. How I, I remember that, like, a, a couple of years ago, when we were having all the massive, like, bannings, and there were big freakouts about the start of secret layers. And then when you see the finance numbers, it's like, oh, magic, you know, it's up. It's doing better than ever. And you're like, wow, how how is that even possible? Like, the disconnect about, I think, what, especially, like, more enfranchised competitive players uh, want the game to be and what actually makes money seems to be pretty big at this point because uh, competitive players have been complaining about, you know, I- I've been complaining about, and I'm not even the most competitive players, like no GP coverage, uh, changes to sets, the endless bannings, like metagame after metagame where the top deck is 50, 75% of the meta. And at the same time, Wizards is, you know, raking in money hand over fist. So I definitely see where you're going with that, Richard. And it, I guess it is a little bit concerning. Uh, I guess it also shows that the people complaining on social media are either a very small minority or they're people who are still spending money. <laughs> like you complain <laughs> about the secret layer and then you buy them and you complain about whatever meta and then you buy a deck for it. So it's like, I hate the new secret layer, these exclusive cards. So once a drop coming, yeah, let me get my credit card. <laughs> Right. I mean, it just shows where the disconnect, right? Like, clearly, there's no disconnect between wizards and their customers because their revenue keeps growing. Right. So it means that we are the disconnect. Right. We are the minority that, you know, competitive magic is not the priority. It's not what's making the money, um, which which sucks. But, you know, the, the question is, is this a long term like is, is this a long term strategy? Can they keep this going or will this fall apart at some point? Right. The, the old timers will say, oh, you know, they're trading in for short term profits. Right. But then the, the new generation saying is like, no, you guys are old. Right. Like this is the new way. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Krim? See, I think for for like this 
there's a huge market of players that just aren't on Twitter complaining about the new secret layer or, or all, all that stuff, right? So there's definitely a huge market that just probably doesn't even check Reddit or, or any of that stuff when it comes to magic. And those are the people that are out there, pro- like that are, I think make up for a huge portion of this. The, I, I think they're the ones that are like, cause like, I mean, we're already kind of like enfranchised players and all this stuff, but you know, I'm like 90% sure there's just people that play and it's just all like tabletop to them and it's big in their life, but just because, you know, they play with their friends and that's as like, you know, much as their magic knowledge goes. Yeah. I think it does show how big the, the casual market is. I think if there's one big lesson for me over the last couple of years, it really is that the people trying to grind to pro tours, uh, in that level of play, really aren't that impactful to the bottom line of magic when it comes down to it like that's the that's the crowd you hear and that's the crowd that you see on social media and is posting on reddit and is making content or streaming yeah. but when it comes down to it like 99.9 percent of people playing magic are are not those people who are making content or talking about on social media they're just like picking up some cards and yep. it's those people who are really driving the magic but as someone who makes content and is a very enfranchised player I, I don't know. Maybe I think we almost value ourselves more highly than we should. Like we think we're more important to the ecosystem magic than we actually are. Yeah, I mean, you know, and- I believe that. I think that's, I think that's, <laughs> that's pretty, <laughs> that's very much so true. Right. I mean, that there's like, just like playing with friends that don't even like for a while back. Right. I, I played with tons of friends and you know, they, I asked them, Hey, do you know who this is? Like my, my friend would, like, like we would just kind of like sit and talk and they're like, no, what, what's an LSV, right? Is that like, a, is that a new <laughs> like magic card? You know what I mean? Like, it's like, no, no. And, and so you ask people about like the big, you know, social media presences in like in the world of magic and they just have no idea who these people are. And it is and a little bit like what Seth said. Yeah. Like me. I think that maybe <laughs> the people that are like out there complaining and whatnot are, are like, and like all of us doing everything that we're doing. I, I, I think that <laughs> we are not as big as we think we are in the ecosystem of magic. So <laughs> I definitely agree with that. Like in the nineties and like early two thousands, you needed John Finkel, you needed Kai Bude to sell your magic packs, right? 2021. You need Mr. Beast, right? You need Post Malone, right? You need Anna Chess, right? That's just kind of the way it's going, right? So given that trend, I expect Pro Magic to be more and more marginalized, right? Like there's no, like, who do you think would get more views? An LSV match or a Post Malone match, right? It'd be Post Malone, like not even close, right? Like not even close, right? So Wizards would be better off investing in somehow making Post Malone agree to this, right? So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's just, it's just the way it is, right? Yeah, well, I think, uh, I think that definitely is the way that is. There was other, there's other news to come out of the, the quarterly pro, and this is probably going to be a little bit, uh, a little bit controversial. So, uh, there might be a new. A new magic product coming down the line, Richard. Uh, what uh, what are they thinking about making? All right. So uh, Hasbro CEO Brian Golder was talking about generating NFTs for Transformers and G.I. Joe. Now, NFTs, if you don't know, is like some blockchain technologies, basically something digital 
that allows you to prove that you have uh, a authentic copy, right? So what you can do is say, this is an authentic something. This is like the number one something and it is 100% uh, accurate, you know, if you use the NFT. So what this allows you to do is just make collectibles, right? And there's things that have sold for like hundreds of millions already uh, because they just, you know, took a photo or took something and then stamped an NFT on it and then someone owns number one. So they said G.I. Joe and Transformers, but it's not hard to imagine that in the future, they start making NFT magic products that you will have NFT, I don't know, mystical archives or something, right? Where when you have this NFT, you know that you have number one of 200 or something, right? What do you guys think about that? Uh, just a just a quick note. If you read further into or listen to the conference call, he actually did mention Magic as well. Like that was one of one of the brands that he listed off. So yeah. I didn't. I don't think Magic made the headline of the article we're looking at, but he did mention Magic as being uh, one of the brands they were thinking of. <sighs> this is a hot button issue. Uh, I think. I think the big thing with NFTs uh, that uh, a lot of people have an issue with is the potential like environmental impact of them which I am definitely not an expert on. Uh, so I, I'm not sure how bad they are for the environment, but that's one thing that I've definitely heard a lot about, about the NFT thing. And the biggest problem a lot of people have with them, I don't really see the point of them personally, because you don't really, you don't really own anything. My understanding of NFTs is like you pay a bunch of money for the blockchain whatever and you get a you know a code or something but you don't own the rights to it it's not like you can license it out or do anything with it so you're just paying a lot of money for bragging rights essentially like I, i'm really not sure is it just a finance market it's, <laughs> like it's, kind it's of a, a certificate a of authenticity scheme? right like if i yeah. sell you a black lotus right i give you there is no such thing but i would give you a certificate of authenticity that cannot be forged and you know it's the real one. So just like kind of like you have a black lotus versus a graded black lotus, the graded one is worth more because it's been graded and there's a guarantee behind it, right? But NFTs but, allow you to do this without having some company uh, behind it. So that's the idea. Now there's always implementation issues, right? Like the NFT is a digital product, right? You have an actual physical product. Nothing stops you from like copying that physical product, right? If you can copy it very well, uh, you know, you can use it, but you wouldn't have the certificate. Like I could photocopy your Black Lotus. Maybe I could do it very well, but I can't photocopy your certificate of authenticity. So that's the whole point. And I don't understand it either, but I do understand that people spent hundreds of millions of dollars on NFTs already in non-magic products, right? So it is not a stretch yeah. to me that people will spend hundreds of millions with magic related NFTs. Like people have sold paintings, uh, people have sold like shoes, people have sold art, like all kinds of things have sold on NFTs for absurdly high amounts of money already. Right. So I, I, that's why I think this will happen and this will make a lot of money. But you wouldn't be able to do anything with them, right? Like let's say you get a Black Lotus NFT. You can't play it. Well, you would theoretically so get a Black Lotus with exists. it, right? You would get yeah. a black. So it would be like there is a new uh, secret layer. I don't know. Mox Opal. Right. And we're only making like 500 of them and they have NFTs attached to them. 
And then, so you get a Mox Opal and you get your NFT with it. And then it'll be something like that, right? And it theoretically be special. Uh, it would be like Marvel's toenails, they- right? Like something super <laughs> special and they can guarantee it's special. And you can guarantee you have the right one and you didn't just like clip your fingernails and call them Morrow's fingernails or something, right? Like it's in a guarantee. Uh, okay, that makes that makes a, a little bit more sense looking at it from that perspective. What uh, what do you think about all this, Crib? <laughs> you know, the, the NFT thing, I... I think it's like a, at first it seemed kind of interesting, but then I think doesn't this, well, I, I don't know about it in, in terms of magic. I have to, I, I more so think of it just like outside of magic. Like if let's say I sold you a famous photograph or something like that, does, does this like kind of like ruin just art? Like does it not just make it like, so like the, the regular, a picture of like, I don't know, Richard, the original picture of Richard, does it not affect that? Like, I, I, I feel like this kind of could ruin the just authenticity of the original art piece, right? Cause then here comes this new version of the piece, of, like this new picture of Richard. And now it's got the NFT stamp on it, right? Is it, is it the original? Are, are you getting the original photo or, or what am I buying here? When it comes to the yeah, new I, NFT, you're just getting a photo, right? And there, there's a difference between one that's been stamped with the NFT and one that's not. That isn't right. So, like example, like yeah. I'm not getting the original Mona Lisa. I am getting a different version, but with the NFT it, stamp. Yeah, but like a lot of them are things that exist everywhere. Like I just saw like a disaster girl. Do you know the meme of yeah. like the little girl that the house is burning and she's yeah. smiling, like. She just sold the NFT of that for five hundred thousand dollars. Yep. But that's an image that I can type into Google yes. and uh, <laughs> and do anything with at any time. There's okay, a okay. million copies Here, of here's it. Here's a good on the example. Internet. So let's say Commander Clash next season episode one. We make an NFT for it and we sell it. Okay. So someone owns the NFT for episode one, and there's only one of those in the world, right? And along with that, they actually got the video file. The video file they can copy, right? They can just copy it out of their, they can put it on YouTube. It can be all over the place. There are hundreds of thousands of copies of episode one, but there is only one NFT. So but they have the original and they pay... only have the original. But why? Okay. Well, why, why buy the me, Mona but... Lisa, Seth? You can just get a print of it and put it on your wall, right? Why buy the original? <laughs> Right. Like that's kind of the, the, the you, you own something that no one else owns. And that's the appeal of it. Like why? Why buy anything? Right. Like why? I, I, why, I think- why subscribe to Patreon? Right. You can get their content for free. Right. Like it's just you, you want to be a part of it. You want to have that guarantee. There, you essentially turn everything it. into a collectible card game. Yes. Yes. Huh. And, and I was going to say the, the one place that actually makes sense is like Magic Arena. Right. If every card was its own NFT, you could buy and sell cards. Wizards can take a cut. So NFTs also have something built in where like the original creator can take a cut of all transactions. Uh, so you can buy and sell magic cards off of Magic Arena. Right. Like you can just go to some random NFT marketplace, sell your cards. It's guaranteed to be authentic. You can use it in Magic Arena. Like it would actually make sense if we were all online and there was an actual open economy instead of being a CCG. Uh, and that, I don't know. That would probably actually that. make that'd probably make Arena cheaper. Actually, <laughs> so, <Yeah>. somehow <laughs> bringing <laughs> NFTs to the game would reduce the cost. <laughs> oh but my yeah, goodness! So, uh, so I mean, would you buy art? Right? Would you buy? Would you buy an original painting of a piece of magic art? 
I mean, maybe. So let's, <laughs> let's say it's digital. Let's say it's digital art. Would you buy the NFT of it? Right. It's the same, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess I still don't really get the appeal, I guess. I, I definitely can see what you're saying and how it has value. Uh, I guess it's just something that isn't for me that I personally wouldn't be interested in spending money on. Uh, what do you think it would look like in magic though? Do you think it would literally just be magic cards, like an actual, like black Lotus or, you know, a Gaia's cradle or whatever, or would it be artwork, something custom? Like how would you implement NFTs of magic, uh, IP? Art is easy, right? Art, like people do art. I I can see cards. I can see secret layer NFT. How many ways would that split though? Because then you would have... You said it already, like, the, there's a thing where the original, like, creator of it gets a cut of it, right? So then, does that then, l- 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 could I, s- like, would there be an MF, uh, NFT, I was going to call it MDFC. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's the new magic card. MDFC NFT. NFT. <laughs> it, could there be an NFT of, like, I don't know, uh, uh, the first printing of... Uh, a Strixhaven blue card, right? Or whatever. Would that then split between magic, the artist, and and the printing company? How, like, how would that it, work? It's whoever like, made the NFT to decide. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's whoever made the NFT decides that, right? Uh, but so as a consumer, you NFT... know you have the first blue card. That's all you know, right? What, what's happening behind the scenes and who splits the profits or whatever. That's unknown to us, just like it is today, right? Yeah. So so essentially, the the... Like the people that determine what's an NF, like what's got an NFT attached to it, is that just so? Is that just some random like third party group of people no, the, that just sit there, kind of like how CGC looks and sits at like and grades comic books? No, whoever makes the whoever makes the thing that they're stamping NFT on controls the the NFT terms for that thing. So couldn't we all just make an NFT? Yes, you can make an NFT right now. We can make an NFT right now. So like I could put an NFT to Seth's beard. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That that's the thing that's really weird is you can do it with other people's IP somehow. Yeah. <laughs> like you can just be like, hey, here's this picture that someone made. Right. I will sell the NFT of it. Like, sorry, artist. Like, it's mine now. Yeah. Yeah. So I, 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 I don't really actually, understand how that's legal. I mean, there's some the <laughs> NFT of Seth's beard. <laughs> there's a reputation, right? Just like, you know, when I ask for a certificate of authenticity, Krim can just make one on his computer or send it to me, but I know the one from Krim has no bearing, but maybe the one from Beckett is more important, right? And, yeah, and, yeah. And you joke about that, but a lot of comic artists, there's like a big battle going yeah. on with comic artists versus uh, the studios like Marvel and DC. Where, Marvel yeah. and Ed, Ed Brubaker who made the Winter Soldier. I mean, yeah. I don't think there's like actually a big dispute on it right now, but yeah, yeah. But you can draw some art and then slap NFT on it and then, you know, Marvel's like, wait a minute, we own the rights to this character, right? You can't make this NFT, right? And then, you know, there's all that stuff happening as well. So it's a new area. So like people really don't know what's going on and like people are trying things. Uh, and it looks like Hasbro is putting their hat into the thing, but I, I could totally see like they do a charity event, right? Or, you know, you know, the, uh, holiday promos they give to creators and wizards family. They could put an yeah. NFT behind that, right? Mm-hmm. They can be like, look, there's only 500 of these, right? We'll put it out. Or let's say they print a special promo card, like a one-off, and they auction it off for charity, right? And they say, look, there's right. this one special card, and it's guaranteed to be special, and we're going to auction it off for charity, and we're going to have a charity event. I think they would start like something like that, where 
when you look at like, wow, that's sold for 20 million, but they're like, oh, it's for charity. It's okay. Right. Like you won't balk at it. And then eventually they'll just like sell things for profit. But I think they would start with something charity related so that it doesn't look too crazy. Right. You're like, oh, we just raised 50 million for charity. It's great. Right. Yeah, I guess that would be a good way to uh, maybe get around some of the the criticism. Uh, Speaking of environmental impact, uh, I bought a collector's booster at Walmart the other day. Have you have you guys seen the packaging for uh, for the new collector boosters? It's literally a single pack is literally like a novel. It is like two inches thick. I lined it up next to an actual full booster box and it's like almost as big as an actual full booster box but there's one tiny pack in the middle of it on the inside it's like five pounds of cardboard to uh to sell you a <laughs> a single booster pack and it shrink wrapped it out of any everything do you think what do you think about that like i, I feel like Wizards just kind of made a big deal about making commander packaging more environmentally friendly and then I went to Walmart and I was like, good Lord, that is an excessive amount of packaging for a single booster pack. Like, ugh, I don't know. Maybe this is too big of a topic, but how do you think Magic does with its environmental impact? Because I know that's one of the big things about NFTs that people have criticized, but maybe like we're not doing that well of a, or that good of a job at, you know, minimizing our environmental impact in our game. I think they're trying and you might argue they could try harder. But with the so if you don't know the the latest commander product, they have minimal packaging, which means it just comes in, you know, a brown box or something. And like, that's it. Whereas, like Seth said, when you sell things in stores, it needs to look good. Have you seen Pokemon cards, by the way, where they have like special products? It's like four cards and the box is like half of the aisle. right? Like It's like this giant (laughs) box. And the reason is it needs to look grand. It needs to take up space. You need to like catch your eye when you're walking down the aisle. Like if they sold a hundred dollar booster in like a, a penny sleeve and like a brown little envelope, you'd be like, is that a hundred dollars? Yeah. That doesn't look right. Right. They need to make it grand. So for people like us who don't care about this, we know what the cards are worth. Like this is just all useless packaging. Right. Uh, but for, you know, a, a random person, this is kind of important. Right. It's part of the marketing. Uh, but. I, I do think Wizards is trying to go in the right direction. They've done it with like the C21. I like to see them do the secret layer. If you open secret layer, it's also like, you know, you're paying for like $30 of shipping, which something could have fit in a penny sleeve in an envelope, right? And if you bought it, you've already bought it. Like you, the, the packaging is not doing much marketing anymore. So I don't know, right? But this is not a thing, just <laughs> Wizards. Like, have you bought an Apple product? Right. Like they come with like very elaborate packaging to make you feel good about the amount of money you just spent. <laughs> right. You're like, yes, this feels grand. This feels special. So but it doesn't yeah. feel like it's like like excessive, though, when it comes to like buying the like example, like I get it getting a new phone. It comes in this small little box. Right. But <laughs> I started chuckling because I, I I started thinking about like what if Wizards just sent us a top loader? They like, should, you know, right? Just, and it's just like a little sticker on it. Plain secret layer. layer. Yep. <laughs> the worst is international shipping, and, right? Where people are paying $30 yeah. because they're getting a giant box of air and they're like, yo, just give me the penny loader. <laughs> give me the top loader, right? Like it's all I need. It should cost like $2 to ship the secret layer. Uh, but you're getting this like giant box of air and you're paying for it too, right? So not only environmental impact, but wallet impact, right? So 
I I will say I, I know they've also had issues with people like stealing from places like Walmart and like opening packages and returning them and things like that. So it might also partly be a security measure to try to keep people from uh, from doing that. Uh, still not sure if it needs that much packaging, if that is the goal to be more secure. But uh, but yeah, definitely interesting. It caught me by surprise just how massive uh, the single booster box was or pack was. It was a, it was like a booster box. I mean, have you opened a normal yeah. booster box? I just opened Battle Bond the other day and I was done. And I'm like, look at this giant pile of like uh rappers like it feels so wasteful right you're like what do i do i just throw it in the garbage right like was this necessary i don't know right but they, they tried the cardboard packaging with modern masters and that was complete fail right your cards came out all damaged um yeah you could hear yeah, the cards just, like, move around <laughs> yeah. in the pack and i'm just like oh and they were really easy to to gain too yeah. i remember that being another issue that you could just kind of <laughs> undo the glue and take out cards and then glue it back up so I think it was it was Modern Masters two, where you could. <laughs> I feel like the foils were heavier than the rest of the <laughs> weighing packs. <laughs> you could just hear it like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, let's uh, let's get to some fish mail. It's been a couple of weeks, I feel like, since we've answered any fish mail questions. So we got to make sure we get to some today, Richard. Fish mail us. All right. If you have questions, send them to at Goldfish with the hashtag MDGFishmail, and we'll get to your questions on air. 11 Vicious. What is more likely to get printed in Black Border? Legendary fetchable duels that come into play untapped with no downside, or a mox that taps for any color but deals two damage to you each time you tap it for mana? Hmm. Wait, wait what's so, the initial? like? So, so a, just a, basically a dual land that's legendary, right? That's fetchable. Okay. And then uh, an Ancient Tomb Mox. Actually, no, wait. No, a Mox that taps for any color, but deals two damage to you. So basically... Every time you tap yeah. it? Or like every upkeep or something? I think every time you yeah, tap it. Yeah, so you're taking like two every time you tap it. This is kind of interesting. I would say power level-wise, Legendary Duels would be more likely to be printed. I think the Mox would be absurdly broken like yeah. uh there's no way that you could print that black border on the other hand the mox is probably okay by the reserve list rules when apparently legendary duels that are fetchable are kind of uh, violating the spirit of the reserve list type of issues from wizard's perspective so i'm not sure if we'll get legendary duels with wizard's current uh understanding of the reserve list just because i think they think that it's too close to violating the reserve list even if it doesn't technically violate the letter of the law i think the mocks because logistically that's one card you can put into a set whereas the legendary duels you would need at least five or ten slots and it's a big deal and i i think we will get more effective moxes like mox amber things like that where they're gonna have some condition but the condition is irrelevant or people have found a way around it so i think something close to this box will happen and we keep getting like we get a mox like every one or two years anyway right so we'll, we'll get another one wouldn't it be absurdly broken like wouldn't it be super uh, broken i, I think no? the mox would be pretty broken yeah if we're talking about power level i think the mox would be broken what if they put into commander legends and then it's only legal and vintage and legacy i guess so I guess Legacy would be broken. Yeah. Vintage. Well, you can just add another mox to the pile, right? And then Commander gets some mox. Yeah, what's, what's one more? <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I mean, I guess you can print it and then just ban it. It would probably be fine in Commander, I guess. Is it? <laughs> Is it really? It'll be NFT mox. That's, that's hey, we got Soul Ring. Sure, though, right? That's true. That's true. 
the Joe Doan. Hey, MTG Goldfish, the episode with Andrew Cunio was gas, but competitive limited was never brought up. I think this could be a way paper standard sets could come back post-pandemic. Ooh. Okay. I mean, yeah. Um, the only thing is, like, I don't feel like limited has ever been that popular competitively. I think that's the the sticking. I remember having serious conversations like a few years ago before Arena or the pandemic was a thing. And there were like actual conversations about should we even have limited at Pro Tours or like should we just get rid of it and have like modern and standard or something rather than limited and standard or limited and modern. So maybe things have changed. I feel like limited has kind of had a, a bit of a moment with the events they're doing on arena. And it seems like maybe it's growing in popularity, but I'm still not sure. It's not a great spectator sport, honestly. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't watch like, cause I, I, you know, watching pro tours and GPs or whatever, right? Like I, I would always skip out on the limited. That's parts. that's where you get to sleep in. You sleep in for the first three rounds <laughs> yeah. and then wake up for constructed. I I know how that is. <laughs> exactly. Like it's just like oh cool limited on. I'm going back to bed. How much more? Oh it's round one. I'm gonna sleep for another two hours. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't know. Like Wizards has always put a high priority on limited, and it's theoretically a way new players get into the game. Like you don't need a pre-existing deck to show up at FNM and play limited. But at the same time, can you really go to FNM blind and play limited? Like, you would spend, like, literally 40 minutes just reading card decks. So it's, like, very difficult for a new player to play limited. So I I actually don't know. But in terms of, like, actual invested players, we don't like limited that much. Right? Like, it just doesn't do well on Pro Tours. I I do think that limited... Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, I I think limited is is a good... It's like more of like something I'd rather play than I, watch. That's I was gonna sure. say it's, it's like it's like baseball. It's exactly like baseball. Like baseball, wow, is the worst thing I can imagine watching. They're like seriously, like, give me Lord of the Rings. I will watch all oh, of them in a row before I watch a baseball there's some game. Angry baseball but if you fans. Play it, it's not that bad. <laughs> oh, that's not that bad. That's not that bad. Come on, baseball. <laughs> watching it, oh, I find it. So, I find it so yeah. boring. Lord of the Rings, though, Seth. <laughs> okay, so we know that Seth. <laughs> Seth. There's something below Lord of the Rings. It is baseball. So, okay, yes. (laughs) Um, I had to make sure I angered some group this podcast. (laughs) We almost got through it without without pissing anyone off. (laughs) Drop drop it at the end. What do you think about the mystical archive method of reprinting cards? Do you think we'll start seeing more reprints of powerful slash needed cards outside of dedicated master sets now that there's a way to do it without affecting format legality? I think we'll see more mystical archives. I I do. Uh, So, yes, I guess so. I think it's got to at least very much appeal to it. Like, I think it does two things. It sells a set that otherwise might be hard to sell, which I think might be one of the reasons why we have uh, Mystical Archives and Strixhaven. Also seems like a great way to get wild cards out of people on Arena because you can uh, bump up all the rarity and uh, get people to spend rare wild cards on commons. So I would be surprised if we didn't see more things similar to Mystical Archives in the future. Yeah, like it's it's been this way now, what, since Battle for Zendikar when we saw – what was the first wave with Expeditions? Uh, yeah, sets that Battle were for Zendikar I think was the Pretty start. much pretty whack. Yeah, like the sets that were pretty whack, uh, they decided we're going to throw in – here, expeditions. Now you I mean, want to buy the expeditions, set, right? invocations, masterpieces. So, We've had this kind of card for a long time. 
Yeah, yeah. So like, and 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 like, it it really helps when sets are like they seem inc- inconsequential to the current standard format. <laughs> Uh, like the, the like battle for zendikar i don't think i would have bought a single pack if it weren't for the expeditions because there's nothing that i really wanted outside i mean, I, of I, w- I would say these sets are not so uh, like it's not strixhaven the set right it's mystical archive the set right like there there aren't that many yeah. expensive cards in strixhaven right like what's the most expensive rare or something like three bucks or something right like not much right it's all being eaten up by mystical archives and the mystical archives are the true lure to the set and then you're getting some strict saving cards on the side to pretend you can play something with right like you're really going after those mystical archive like <laughs> yeah. demonic tutors and whatever right not like name a chase rare from strict saving i can't even think of one <laughs> right like they're, they're just not worth much right yeah that's that's very true I, I do think that's kind of an upside which is something i might do an article or video on at some point but because of things like mystical archives and all the crazy versions of cards you can just get the normal like base versions of a lot of cards for really cheap in paper. I guess maybe the pandemic plays into it too, but whenever I just like look over the prices of a set like Strixhaven or Kaldheim, I'm like, wow, those cards are just really cheap. Like the mythics, the rares, even the ones that do see play, like Elite Spellbinder or Magmobas or whatever, they're like two or three bucks when I feel like if we had this same set like five years ago and we didn't have Mystical Archives and we didn't have 20 versions of every card with so many different borders and arts, I think these cards would be a lot <laughs> more a lot more expensive. Like, so it is nice for players, I think, to some extent that you can get a get a really good deal on some powerful I, I stuff. I got the formula, Seth. You go first. Is it time to reprint Shocklands? Is it time to reprint Fetchlands? <laughs> if not create a new border right get cards from <laughs> magic's history <laughs> some good ones some chase ones put them in your set like that's it that's that's how you sell a standard set right that, that is that is actually pretty much it i think <laughs> you can't let the you can't just drop their oh, trade wizard, wizard's lawyers are calling me hold on guys let me <laughs> yeah you'll be getting your letter very soon uh alex lyon Spells that can't be countered are trash, not interactive gameplay. They replace hexproof with ward for interactivity. Let's get rid of uncounterable spells. I I, I will tell you right now that that is just the truth. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think uncounterable, and then also on top of that, if they throw on indestructible, <laughs> I'm not naming anything, but like uncounterable is just ridiculous. Come on now. I know people like resolving their spells, but you know, that's why you just play more of them. I think uncounterable is perfectly fine. Like it's not, it's I not like a, uncounterable. <laughs> I think it, it's so, it's so ridiculous. Why, why does that exist? <sighs> like as common as it does, I feel like every set there are a group of things that are just uncounterable or essentially uh, like pseudo uncounterable. And I'm just like, why? I feel like there should be hate for counter spells. Counter spells are like, Inherently powerful. Every creature can't resolve, or else, and that's just not possible (laughs) because power creep. So, like, it's like I, I, I'm surprised Earl just didn't have uncounterable tacked on top of it. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think you got to do it within reason. I wouldn't want uncounterable Okos or Uros running around, but I do think like Miscutter Hydra and like even Carnage Tyrant cards like that. I think it's good to have access to like. I don't know. Counterplay. Sure. Like Gaia's, Gaia's yeah. Revenge. Like, yeah, like there's always Thrun. been an uncounterable, like, yeah, like Thrun. There's always been that one green uncounterable thing, right? But, but now I feel like these uncounterable green things also do like 50 more things. Yeah. 
So Damn. that's so you just don't like Toski, basically. <laughs> I mean, like there's there, there's Toski, and then of course you know, like uncounterable protection from blue shifting ceratops. You know what I mean? Like all all this stuff. I, I think I, is kind I of agree ridiculous. with Krim there. Actually, I, I like there's just no counterplay to it. I hate like no counterplay on like all ends. <laughs> literally no counterplay right? but they could do it like ward right like you have to pay two yeah. more to target this spell on the stack or you get something like if this spell is countered you draw three cards or any player who targets a spell on the stack loses 10 life or they can do all kinds of things rather than just make it like nope you can't you can't counter it because like yeah there's no interactivity just like kind of hexproof at least hexproof you can get around right hexproof you can wrath oh, the board yeah. Right. If it's uncounterable, uh, I guess you got to let it resolve. Hope it doesn't have ETB and then bounce it. Oh, right. Oh. <laughs> like or or kill it or well, you got to let it resolve. Poor control <laughs> player. They had to let a spell resolve. It's the end of the world. We can't have, have like Ulamog triggers <laughs> nowadays. Seth. Like you can't you can't allow yeah, this. Like, right? You can't just kill things <laughs> like I. Everything kind of already has uncounterable in a weird way where where eventually, you know, unless you're playing against rogues, uh, like, you know, if, like a classic control deck now has to deal with not letting a single threat resolve. What, oh, right? what, what, if, you, what if you stasis them for a turn? Things. If they counter, if they target the spell while it's on the stack, their permanence don't untap next turn. Glorious. <laughs> right? You have to pick Ooh. and choose your counter spots. What what if they just give you a counter spell that can counter uncounterable spells? It's called it's called like exiling the spell on the staff, <laughs> so, right? <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, then people are going to be even more upset, and essentially, it's just like, well, hold on. <laughs> now it's just exiled off the stack, which kind of gets around the counter spell clause. It's like, wait, so why did we even make uncounterable a thing then? Uh, that's that's true. All right. Coming to you in 2022 20, magic. <laughs> I mean, at some point, they're going to decide that, like, creatures are too strong. They're going to go back to spells. And then we're going to see the most ridiculous counter spells ever, right? So, yeah. I mean, it would just have to literally be, like, arcane denial, except you draw all the cards. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's all our fish mail for this week. Thank you to everyone who sent in fish mail. If you have questions, send them to at Goldfish with the hashtag mtgfishmail. And we'll get to your questions on air. And I believe that that brings us to the end of episode 327 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. So, Richard Krim, thanks for hanging out. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Card Conduit for supporting the show. And we will be back next week to talk about whatever goes on in the world of magic. So, until then, have a great week, everyone. And this is the crew signing out. Sweet. <laughs>